0: In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Ituria and and Lysanias Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. God said to the crowds, coming out out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe has been laid to the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do same. Even tax collectors came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money, and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly, and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptise you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words John extorted exhorted not extorted. <laughs> exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all, he locked John up in prison.
1: We're continuing the reading, I thought I'd better read this bit, you'll see why in a minute. when all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so he thought, so it was thought of Joseph. The son of Heli, the son of Mattath, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi. The son of Jenai the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Ezli, the son of Nagai, the son of Mait, the son of Matthias, the son of Semain, the son the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joan, the son of resa the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosum, the son of Eldaman, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Elijah, the son of Jorim, the son of Mathath, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonah, the son of Eliakim, the son of Melia, the son of Mena, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashum, the son of Abinadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Zerug, the son of Rehu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth. The Son of Adam, the Son of God. Do I need to? I hope I don't need to read that again. Uh, Well, let me just add my welcome to Pippa's. Really good to to see you all here today. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Please keep Luke chapter 3 open. Uh, Let's pray shortly as we begin. Lord, we do thank you for giving us your word, for speaking to us through it. Please, would you be at work by your spirit today, uh, helping us understand this? Uh, Would you challenge us where we need to be challenged? Would you encourage us uh, where we should be encouraged? Uh, And yeah, pray that it would be uh, helpful for us uh, and ultimately something that that draws us closer to you. Amen. Does your faith make a difference to your life? Uh, Is it clear? That Jesus has made an impact on you how do people know that you follow him if if you do to be fair Uh, I had an old friend uh, back in Stevenage who used to be addicted to drink and to drugs and he basically hit this real rock-bottom moment and ended up on his knees uh, praying to God and God responded God transformed him through the love of Christ God poured his love uh, into this man's life And he told me shortly afterwards his wife walked into the room and she said what's changed there's something different what's happened Uh, and he was able to say i've I've just been praying god's just you know done something in me Uh, and he's now you know a counselor trying to support people in similar situations to where he was that's that's an amazing testimony, isn't it it's not always so instant Uh, but if we're christians we should expect to see growth we should expect to see change in our lives as we walk with Jesus I wonder if you can point to it in your own life I wonder if you wonder well how does it actually happen and our passage today helps us to 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 see that if you're here last week we were looking at Luke chapter 2 we were looking at Jesus as a child Jesus as a young boy and we saw really we were encouraged to, to praise him because of who he was because of what he had come to do And really we have a bit of a time jump between chapter 2 and 3, about 18 years. And now we have uh, the events that run up to Jesus' ministry uh, as an adult. It starts, doesn't it, in in chapter 3 with all these kind of details about who was there at the time, who was in charge, who were the rulers, who were the high priests. Luke is, you know, making a really accurate report. He's he's registering all these details so that people can look back and go, well, that's when this happened." It was around 29 AD uh, from all the records that, that we have. But actually the key thing he says, it right, comes right at the end of verse 2, he says this, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Uh, if we you were here before Christmas, we looked at chapter 1, we looked at the story of Zechariah uh, and how these unexpected parents uh, gave birth to John. And now he comes, uh, as an adult, comes preaching and baptising, And in case you haven't missed the significance before then, Luke makes it really clear Uh, in verses 4 through to 6, he he, he quotes from the Old Testament, he he references the book of Isaiah. It's basically a prophecy that says someone's going to come and kind of prepare the way uh, for the promised king, for the Messiah, for the the Saviour. And John was the answer to that prophecy. 700 years or so uh, around it had been since that was made. And he comes and he prepares the way. How does he do it? He preaches and he baptises. So let's dig into what what he does, what he says, and what it has to say for us. Uh, My first heading today is this. Real repentance. Real repentance. Look at verse 3 with me again. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now at the time, baptism was actually something, really, for people converting to Judaism. It wasn't something that that happened all the time, and so there's something quite special going on. John calls everyone to come and be baptized, he's saying, even those of you who are Jewish need to to, to come and do something in preparation for this Saviour coming. They needed to repent. That feels like a bit of an old-fashioned word, doesn't it? A bit of a word we don't use every day. But all it really means is to to change your mind and go in a new direction. And here in particular, it's talking about a decision you make to return to God. Almost like turning away from your old way of life, from, from, from the wrongdoing, from the sin, and turning back towards God. Going in the other direction, making that decision. And baptism was a sign that they had done this. That their sins would be forgiven. He was a prophet preparing the way for Jesus, making the path straight. And by calling people to to turn away from their sin, to turn back to God, they were preparing to meet their saviour. You know, they were expecting someone who was going to come and kind of kick out the Romans and change things politically and kind of restore uh, them as an independent land. And actually, John is preparing them for something completely different. He's preparing them to meet someone who is going to change everything Uh, spiritually it was a much deeper thing going on much more significant ultimately it was something to do with our hearts and that's where the problem starts to happen this is the passage we looked at uh, in the all age slides. look at verse 7 with me again john said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves we have abraham as our father how's that to address a congregation you brood of vipers you you're a bunch of snakes slithering away from a fire that's really strong isn't it that is a a bold statement and it's a he is a prophet this is a message from God God knows the hearts of the people there who had come to be baptized Now, when we talk about the heart in the biblical sense we're talking about it's kind of like the control center of us it's like Right, right in the middle of us, the things that, that, that control what we think, what we feel, what we do. That's what we're thinking about. The heart. It's not just the the, the, the organ, but the, that kind of control centre. I'm sure there were those in the crowd who, who had come with genuine repentance in their hearts. But, but the message, to the majority at least, is saying, you brood of vipers. You're coming to be baptised, but you've got no... Uh, No desire to actually change. No desire to actually change the direction of your life. Maybe they just thought, well, everyone's doing it. Let's join the crowd. Let's just do it to be safe, just in case it's going to help our our case. Basically, they they wanted the outward sign of God's forgiveness without the kind of inner transformation that repentance should bring. They were hoping to be saved by their baptism, but they didn't want to turn away from their sins. And they even had this perfect excuse in verse 8, Abraham is our father. Why would they bring that up? Um, We've been visiting schools as we prepare to send our boys uh, to school in September. And in one we were shown shown around by two year six children. Uh, And this little boy was showing us around and he basically mentioned, my mum's a teacher. My mum's a teacher in the school and he was really sort of proud of the fact. And you could just tell he had a little bit of a cheeky streak. And you just wondered, didn't you? Like, I wonder if he thought maybe he can get away with a bit more because his mum's a teacher. I'm sure that's not the case. I'm sure that if he did get in trouble, he would realise very quickly that that actually he's going to be treated like everyone else. But actually, that's similar to what's going on here. Do you see those coming to be baptised and thinking, ah, we're safe. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm kind of secure in that. And the reality is quite different. Isn't it? We get this picture in verse nine of an axe at the base of a tree, kind of right, ready to be chopped down and thrown into a fire. John makes no mistakes in it. This is this is serious. We're talking about God's judgments of evil and sin, and they need to pay attention. Basically, looking okay on the outside, looking okay externally, it wasn't the point. It wasn't what they needed to be thinking about. It was really about what's going on in the hearts. And that's what we see in, in John's message, isn't it? We see that actually real repentance is seen. Real repentance is seen. How do we know if repentance is genuine from the heart? John says you'll see the difference. In verse eight, he talks about producing fruit in keeping with repentance. He says in verse nine, every tree that doesn't produce fruit will be cut down. It, it, producing good fruit, it's a, it's a, a picture of, of doing good. Showing that you've, you've changed your life in the way that you, you act, in the way that you do things. That's what the crowd asked, isn't it, in verse 10? What should we do? The crowd asked. John says, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Repentance should lead to good fruit. It should lead to doing good for others. Uh, John's really clear and practical, isn't it? It's like, look, if you've got food, share it with people who haven't. If you've got clothes, share them with people who haven't. Don't put yourself first, put others before yourself. For those who are aware of their sin and maybe aware of that forgiveness that they don't deserve, then there's this gratitude that kind of pours out. We want to care for others, we want to love them, we want to show that practically. It's clear, isn't it? It's challenging. And I think it's just as challenging for us today as well real repentance is just as important for us. Uh, In the recent census, uh, 46% of the UK are identified as Christians, and that's actually down from 59% in 10 years before 2011. So 60% of the population in 2011 said that they were Christians. And we might lament that situation, oh, how has it dropped so much? In reality all it mostly means is that people are recognizing that basically saying you're a christian doesn't make you a christian actually people are just probably waking up and being a bit more honest about their faith or, or their lack of faith because the reality of uh, the reality of the situation even most of that 46 percent are people who maybe say they're christians but but actually that they won't be living differently to those around them You wouldn't see any sort of visible difference. There wouldn't be any hearts towards God, no real repentance. And John's point back then is just as true today. That actually external religion, religion just on the outside, it doesn't get you anywhere. It's about what's going on in our hearts. It's about what's going on in our hearts. We need uh, to repent genuinely. It's a key aspect of the gospel. Accepting, recognizing that, yes, we are sinful, that we have thought and said and done things that that reveal our heart is far from God, that we have turned away from him, we've gone our own way. And repentance is, is accepting that, admitting that, confessing that, and then turning away from it and coming to Jesus, giving our life to him because he has loved us and forgiven us. You see, it's a heart matter. There needs to be this genuine conviction and this genuine turning to God. It's not about the external things. We can't just say, well, I'll be okay because I go to church. I'll be okay because I always read the Bible. I'll be okay because I pray most days. Now, those are good things. Those are important things. But actually, it's the motivation, isn't it? What's behind them? Why do we do them? I was watching a TV show over Christmas, and one of the characters is known for being really selfish and thoughtless and he sort of tries to show people that he isn't but no one everyone sort of misses the effort that he's putting in and he ends up saying well what's the point in doing good if no one's there to see it what's the point I wonder if that can be our attitude towards faith Do we think well what's the point unless people see what we're doing do we perform to others in the church do we just kind of try and show that we're okay even if we're not it's not what the bible calls us to the bible calls us to to genuine honest admission to, to what we're like so i encourage you today to examine your hearts have you from deep within have you confessed your sin have you admitted that helplessness have you turned to jesus because there is amazing love and grace and forgiveness for those who do free forgiveness new life it's wonderful And is it showing? Because real repentance is seen. Do we show that in how we live? Are we fruitful followers of Jesus? It seems to be a bit of a theme that's come up at the start of this year, hasn't it? Thinking about what it means to be fruitful. We thought about our New Year's Day. We're thinking about fruitfulness in our home groups. Can people see the difference that Jesus makes to us? I think sometimes it's really hard for us to kind of spot it in ourselves Especially if you're sort of a self-deprecating Brit, you sort of think, I'm not, I'm not sure. And sometimes you need to speak to someone who, who knows you and loves you and say, how have I changed? How have you seen me grow? And they might be able to spot something that maybe you've missed. So I encourage you to do that. But it's worth reflecting on, isn't it? Is our repentance seen in how we live? In the examples that John gives, he talks about wealth. How we use our wealth, it reveals our priority. Are we living for ourselves? are we living for others? Are we generous with what God gives us, or are we kind of tight-fisted? And there's lots of areas, aren't there, in our character, in our behavior, where sin can get the better of us. Are we known in the office for kind of grumbling, or kindness? Are we known for laziness, or are we known for hard work? Are we known for being a bit arrogant because of our education and our ability? Or are we known for our humility and our grace and gentleness? Are we impatient and angry with our children? Are we tempted to gossip? Do we honour the opposite sex with our words and and with our eyes? There's lots of things, aren't there, that that, that should be challenging for us. I know it is for me. I want to be more fruitful in in these areas. I need to trust that God will work in me. I need his strength, not my own none of us are perfect. None of us will be perfect sitting here today, which means there will be things in all of our lives that need addressing. I wonder what it is that God is convicting you of today, challenging you about today. Maybe you need to just jot that down, pray about it, maybe talk with someone after the service, say, actually, this is this is spoken to me today. It feels hard, doesn't it? It feels really challenging. And that's because we need to remember that We cannot do this in our own strength. We do this in the strength of our saviour. And that's what we see in the rest of the passage. We see our real saviour. Our real saviour. When you get to verse 15, the people start wondering, oh, John the Baptist, maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe he is this promised saviour that is coming. And he's very quick, isn't he, to say, well, no. Someone far greater is coming soon. Actually, my job's just kind of preparing the way for that to happen. And that person is Jesus. We see that in the rest of the chapter. It reveals something really important about who Jesus is. Let's look at his baptism again. Verse 21. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. In some sense, it feels a bit strange, doesn't it, that Jesus gets baptised because he's the one person who didn't need to repent. He lived perfectly. He never sinned. Why would he do it? Well, there's lots of reasons. Probably, here's, here's a couple. Um, by doing it, he, he kind of legitimised John the Baptist's ministry. He was affirming that this was something from God. And it's really important. He's, he's identifying with the people he's come to save. He's identifying with sinners. And we just get this amazing moment, don't we, as he's baptised. That heaven opens, the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. The Father's voice declares, you are my son. With you I am well pleased. We have the Trinity coming here, revealing the nature of God. Revealing his love, revealing his plan. Jesus was God's son. Jesus was God. And we need to understand that. for If we're going to understand what, what goes on in Luke. That Jesus was fully God. But he was also fully man. It's one of those mysterious things that it's really hard to get a heads around. How could he be both fully God and fully man? And yet that's what we see. That's why I read all of those names out uh, in the genealogy. Because you saw what that meant. It meant that that Luke showed that that Jesus was a man. You could trace all the way back, through the human race, all the way back to Adam. To see that connection to see that Jesus had come as a man fully God fully man coming as a savior with that the, the power of God to live a perfect life to heal to forgive to offer his life as a sacrifice and as a man he is able to take our place he is able to understand what we go through understand our weaknesses sympathize with us he came to save anyone who belongs to the human race and even us if you can believe that sinners, idolaters, murderers liars, cheaters, adulterers we all need to be saved from the sin that separates us from God from the sin that dooms us to die Jesus became a man to to rescue us from that he had to become one of us in order to do that in order to really save us So let's think about that for a minute. What does it mean? What does real salvation mean? Real salvation. Let's go back to chapter 3, verse 16, briefly. John answered them all, I baptise you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Talk about Jesus coming to save, and here we get a picture of what we're being saved from. It's not a picture we're particularly familiar with. Here's a sort of example of it. This is a farmer clearing his threshing floor. In those days to harvest grain, what you'd do is sort of trample the, the, the crop with some animals, and then you would toss it up in the air, so that the chaff would kind of get caught with the wind, the kind of stalks, the the, the light hollow bits would be carried off and carried away, but the grain, which is heavier, would kind of fall back down so you could collect it up. So that's the kind of picture here, and you see it's a picture of judgment, it's a picture saying Jesus is coming to kind of sort and separate. Now I'm aware it's a reality we don't like talking about, but we can't avoid when the Bible is very clear that those who reject Jesus face the consequences of their sin. And that description of unquenchable fire, it's, it, it, hell is real and awful. And We need to be aware of that. And if you're not a believer here today, I urge you to consider Jesus. To consider what it means to, to, to know him and trust him. Because it's the most important decision you could ever make. So how do we become wheat? How do we become like the grain that is saved here? How are we saved from this judgment? It comes back to the heart, doesn't it? We need something different. John's baptism was a baptism of water. It was symbolic. He could call people to repent, but he could not change them from the inside. Because only someone who is God could do that. And that's why Jesus came. Fully God, fully man. Uh, And see what John says? He will baptise them with the Holy Spirit. That sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? Let's think about what that means. What does it mean to be baptised by the Spirit? It means that only when we come to Jesus can we be changed inwardly from the heart. Only through Jesus does our repentance become genuine, become something that transforms us. The Spirit is the one who gives us new life. He's the one who helps us know God's love and God's care. He's the one who changes us, who makes us more like Christ. He's the one who keeps us and helps us hold firm to our faith. That's the baptism we really need. And all faith is a gift from God. All of us, God has called us to himself and his spirit calls us to repent and turn away from our sin and and then give us the strength to to show that and and live that out and and so people see our repentance so that we live differently every believer is baptized with the holy spirit do you know what that is why john says in verse 18 that this is good news this is really good news jesus coming was the best news we could ever hear and it's not just because he, he led a perfect life It's because he laid down his life for us on the cross. Because he he sacrificed his perfect life for us. He took that judgment. He took the, the punishment we deserve for us in on himself. He died so that we could live. The Spirit is the one who helps us see that. Helps us understand that. Helps us respond to that amazing act of love as we give our lives to him. And he rose again as Lord, as King of all, giving us that hope and assurance that if we trust in him, we will not be lost. We will live forever with him. Now, I'm aware that is big stuff for a Sunday afternoon. Uh, It takes time to chew these things over, to process them. I encourage you to to look at it again, to, to keep thinking about these things. Why don't we finish by coming back to that question I started with. Does your faith make a difference? Does our faith make a difference to our lives? Because we've seen today that that it should. That Jesus came to transform us. That that, that when we humbly come in repentance, when we humbly come and say sorry for our sin, and give our lives to him, he sends his spirit to to live in us, to, to work in our hearts, to change us, and transform us, and make us new, and make us fruitful. Is that something you know today? Is Jesus' love and power transforming you? Do you see a difference that Jesus is making in your life? If not, then, then do you need to know, do you need to come and find his love for the first time? Jesus loves, loves it when a sinner comes in repentance. He says there is joy in heaven when one sinner repents. I'd love to speak to you more if you've got questions, if you're not quite sure what that means I'd love to share some more with you find someone you trust, chat to them about it and for those of us who believe this, do you see what a difference it makes, are you thankful, are you joyfully glad because of what the Spirit is doing in your life it's humbling isn't it to think that, that God can work in us and we're aware of our sin and we're aware of when we go wrong and we continue repenting we continue turning to God. And we have the Spirit's power in us to change, to fight our sin, to to trust God's power more and more. That is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus changes everything. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son to do what we could never do. And coming to save us. And Lord, would you help us? to to consider what it means to repent and would you can help us consider what it means to be fruitful to to show the difference you make in our lives would you help us to show that more and more to to reflect your love more closely each day and just pray that you'd help us find that joy and thankfulness that comes from knowing that we are safe and in your arms and loved forever amen